you know, SD, we got Kent on the line. What do you want to ask him? Who would you recommend having on your team assisting you in making these decisions? Yeah. So an accountant, you need a, you need a solid attorney. A good attorney is invaluable. And there, there are attorneys that can kill deals and there's attorneys that can make deals. And you need to find an attorney that's good at, at making deals and, and again, kind of being creative. And then the other one, probably the most important one really is a good property manager. You know, whether you're doing it yourself or you've hired someone or you're going with a, a third party firm. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. This is journal entry number 46 in one of our Ask the Expert episodes. Today, we have experienced investor Kent Ritter and aspiring investor Esther Rises Lowenbein. Keep listening for reasons to invest in multifamily and how to build your investing team. And now, the show. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Four Oaks Capital. I'm very excited for today's show. This is one of our Ask the Expert episodes, and we have two great guests on the line with us right now. We've got uh, Kent Ritter, and we've got Esther Rises Lowenbein. So first, Kent is the Managing Director at Burgeon Held Asset Management, which is a multifamily private equity firm located in Indianapolis, which currently holds $1.3 billion, with a B, in assets under management. Prior to joining Burgeon Held, Kent spent time as a management consultant, startup owner, and corporate executive. Kent used real estate to achieve financial freedom, and now he's passionate about helping others discover the power of private real estate through his podcast, Ritter on Real Estate, his monthly multifamily investing meetup, and through his direct investments with his firm. So that said, Kent, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, really excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. This is, it's always good to have have people that you've met on, on LinkedIn on the show and, and get to know them a little better. So yeah, um, absolutely. that said, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of your background and history up until when you decided to actively pursue investing in apartments? Sure. So, so you heard a little bit in my bio. Uh, I was a management consultant for about 12 years from graduating college, went straight into that field. And, and as a management consultant, I mean, really what we did was solve problems for, for some of the largest organizations in the country. And in doing that for about 12 years, I, I became very good at problem solving and kind of organizing change and managing change. And went on to start my own consulting firm with a few partners. And at the end of 2015, we decided it was the time to sell the firm. So we sold it. And from that exit, I, I had you know, a decent amount of capital and, and didn't know exactly what, uh, what to do with it. I know I didn't want to be 100% in the stock market. So that really started me down this, this journey through real estate. And so from about 2016, I really started just digging into everything I could from podcasts to books, trying to educate myself, learn where I wanted to be. Uh, I thought about it like many people do of, you know, I'm going to become a landlord. I'm going to go out and buy some single families because that's what people that I knew, that's what they were doing. And luckily I, I got into some good circles and found some good mentors and they led me down the multifamily path. So, you know, I started out as a passive investor. I, I went out and very mindfully invested in 
10 deals, knowing that I wanted to be active at some point, but I didn't have the skill set. And there was a lot I'm sure I didn't know, uh, which it turned out there's a ton I didn't know at the time. So invested in those 10 deals, really used that as a learning experience, um, really got to know some of the sponsors well. And one of those sponsors was actually Virgin Held, which is where I'm working yeah. now. So invested in a couple deals with them, created a great relationship, went out and uh, did a syndication on my own uh, in 2019, you know, 250 units down in Atlanta. And then from there, I uh, had an offer to join Virgin Held as a partner and decided that, w- that would be a great opportunity to, to learn from folks that have been doing it for a long time and, and have a great track record and just have tremendous platform and ton of resources. So, so that's really the history that kind of got me from the start to where I am now. Yeah. How did the passive investments help prepare you to be you know, an active investor? Yeah. So, you know, there's a couple of pro- approaches you can take with, with passive investing. I think you can truly be totally passive, right. And be hands off and just, fo- you know, focus on your day job, whatever your passion is and kind of let, let the checks roll in. I was a much more called active passive investor and in that I was probably the one that folks find annoying because um, I was asking the questions, you know, wanted to be in the meetings, wanted to understand why they were making the decisions they were making, why they underwrote things the way they did, how they looked at markets. And so I used that opportunity to just ask those questions and, and get a bunch of different flavors from several different sponsors and kind of understand what I liked and what I didn't. Some communicated better than others. Some I felt their analysis was better than others. And so I, I really took uh, what I liked from each group and, and tried to make that my own and build that into my own process. And so that really helped me formulate, you know, how I would approach being a syndicator and, and how I would go out and find deals and bring in investors. Nice. Nice. Now, now what are the, what are the, I guess, what are the really good lessons learned that you picked up from the people that you invested with? So I, I think a lot of things in life come down to communication. A lot of the issues in life are, are also a result of, of communication or lack mm-hmm. of communication. So I think one of the most important things just in life in general, but especially as a sponsor, when you're, you're working with somebody's money and they've entrusted you is just have great communication, over-communicate. You know, I, I always use the example, like when I used to travel a ton as a consultant, I was in the airports every week and mm-hmm. you'd see these examples where, you know, a flight, get, a flight gets delayed or a flight gets canceled and, and sometimes people would, would just freak out, right? And you see like the worst in people in the airport when that happens. Mm-hmm. And other times people would be fairly okay with it. And I started just, my consultant mind started to ask like, like, why is that? You know, what I realized was when the airlines communicated and they gave you updates and, and told you what was going on and kept you in the loop and, and let you know that they were working on things, I found that the, the crowd was, was way more docile and way more accepting, right? It was the situations where you're sitting there for an hour, hour and a half, and you're not hearing anything that, that people start to just, they think the worst, right? And they, yeah. they start to just, uh, I mean, they really, really start to lose. I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen those situations in airports too, but so just communication. And so what we, what we do is we like to do monthly reports, not uh, full financials, but, but updates, let people know what's going on on the properties. You know, what have we achieved? Where are metrics um, and what's happening? What's going to be next? And then quarterly distribute financials so that folks can actually, you know, see what's going on behind the scenes and then see the detail. I think just having that communication and staying in front of things like when coronavirus came out, I mean, we were really active 
and just communicating what was going on and what distributions were going to look like and that we were going to hold distributions for mm-hmm. a little while just to make sure we could uh, maintain cash flow. And people were, were fine with that overall. Yeah. I think because we were proactive in the communication and we explained why and we gave them context. Um, same thing with the residents, right? Explaining to the residents, you know, here's the situation, here's what's going on, you know, here's resources. I mean, I think it works on both sides, but I, communication is one of the biggest things. Another great lesson learned is just, I think the approach to underwriting, you know, a lot of people, when they start out, they, they want to dive into a deal and, and spend hours in the spreadsheet, kind of tweaking a deal and looking at it. I mean, really that should be the last step in your process. It starts way up front with understanding the market. Well, I guess first it's understanding your goals, then understanding the market, and then knowing where we want to be and what type of property we want to be in. And that lets us, and I call it like the tender swipe. It lets us just swipe, swipe left, swipe right, <laughs> just clear out deals uh, very quick, very quickly within five minutes of reviewing without having to actually get into the spreadsheet and get into the underwriting. Because if you, you can't spend four hours underwriting every deal. Right. Yeah, I, I like that. You know, I, I think some really good points, I'll just re-highlight those is, you know, make sure you have your deal criteria firm before you start looking at deals. And that way you don't let waste time. And I think the second key point you brought up was, you know, make sure you're you're looking at the bigger picture before you start dialing in on, on the details. You know, third thing I'll, I'll point out, and I, I love how you say it, you know, over-communicate, you know, and I, I love the airport example. You know, I, I've seen it a couple of times too. There's, there's a the adage, you know, bad news doesn't get better with age, right? So that's right. Well, good enough. So let's, let's talk right now. Let's shift the gears tiny bit. Let's talk about your big burning. Why your, your motivation for investing in apartments. Yeah. So I mean, my, my why is my, my kids and my family. I have a, a four-year-old, a three-year-old and a one-year-old and I love them to death. I want to be with them all the time. And mm-hmm. as a management consultant, I was on the road a ton. And I was on the road a few weeks a month, multiple days each week. And, and I just, it was really as, as we had my first daughter and I had a moment where I was sitting there on the airplane about to take off again. And I had this, this vision of like down the road, somebody asking, you know, what do you remember of your dad and her being like, oh, well, well he was gone a lot, yeah. you know? And, and then I, and I started to think about some of the folks that were 10 years ahead of me you know, at the company and the relate, it wasn't the relationship with my kids I wanted to have. I didn't want yeah. to be kind of a, an absentee dad. I wanted to be there for him. I wanted to, you know, go to the ballet recitals and, and all, the, all the football games and all that good stuff. So that was really what set me down the path to say, okay, I, I need to make a change because, you know, as long as I'm doing this, even having my own business and doing it, I mean, you're just traveling constantly. So it was really yeah. that wanting to be around my kids and then, you know, it, what started as a very personal why, really, as I continued to evolve and I continued to, to learn, became much more of an external why, which is really what I'm so passionate about now and why I do my podcast mm-hmm. and, and why I host the meetup and do these education sessions is because, you know, once I, I realized the, the power of just real estate investing relative to all I really knew before was stocks the wealth creating power, the tax benefits, all these things, once it became real to me, I was like, wow, why doesn't anybody know about this? And so I started wanting to just get, get out and really tell everybody about it. Yeah. I mean, honestly. And so I, I, that's a big passion of mine now and a why is to just help as many people as possible understand this option and understand that there, there's other ways that they haven't heard of to go out and, and create wealth that can be much more meaningful than the typical routes. Yeah, I love it. I think that's the same for for a lot of people. You know, it's most people who 
answer that question, say something about time and family, you know, just, mm-hmm. I want to be able to spend time with my family. And, you know, I, I've had similar realizations. My oldest daughter's 21. I probably missed 18 of her birthdays because of, of my work schedule or, you know, similar items. So, you know, the, the last thing I want them to say, and I, I love that. The last thing I want my kids to say is, what do you remember about your dad? Well, he was gone a lot. You know, I want right. them to remember me and not me not being there. So um, I could totally relate to that. Yeah, um, that's awesome. Let's uh, talk a little bit about, you know, some of the deals or projects you've done, you know, go ahead and give us, you know, you can, you can pick one or you can kind of give us a range of, of what type of stuff you do. Yeah. So, so as a firm, we do just about everything. We have, we have four lines of business from new development. We do LIHTC deals, so, so tax credit, affordable housing. We do large market rate deals, which is the standard what you would think of a large syndication, right? 200, 300. We, we have a 940 unit property. And then the, the fourth business unit, which I'm running now, and which is fairly new, is, is what I'm excited about is we're calling it Private Select. Mm-hmm. And it's a more of a niche focus. Uh, we're focusing on properties that aren't just your standard market rate deal where you're kind of buying the market. Uh, they're deals that, that have some hair on them, you know, mismanaged, undercapitalized, uh, undervalued. Yep. And uh, you have to dig a, li- dig a little harder. You know, a lot of these are mom and pop owners. But the reason that we started the, this fourth business line is because we believe there's a ton of opportunity there in that space. And, and really what we found is the ability to provide a better return profile, meaning higher IRRs, higher, higher cash on cash returns than, than the larger market rate deals that, that you're buying at a four and a half cap, for mm-hmm. example. The, the deals that we're purchasing just because the, the seller profile is different and the competition is less is we're buying at six plus cap rates. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of counterintuitive. You never hear large, I mean, we have 15,000 units. You never hear large syndicators saying, yeah, we're going to go small. Uh, <laughs> but I think you actually have to be, you have to be big and have the scale to be able to go small and do that effectively. Because the hardest thing about a 40 unit property is management right? And finding good management. But because we have that management group in-house, so we control that, it allows, a, it allows us to do things that others can't. And we're also really focusing on leveraging technology. I think there's so good, so much good prop tech out there now. And we're going down this very, this very decisive path to say, we want to be a leader you know, from a prop tech standpoint. We need to get in front of this. And we're using some of these smaller deals as proofs of concept to prove for the larger portfolio yeah. to roll things out. And and to allow us to be able to manage operating expenses. So for example, in, in a deal that we're going to close next week in Louisville, it's a, it's a 30 unit. It was that, that same situation, just kind of a mismanagement issue, beautiful building, 2010 build, but just was being managed for occupancy, not to maximize revenue. So we came in and, and saw immediate, we can, we can identify an immediate lift just through better management and more sophisticated management. But we're also installing smart locks on all the doors and we're installing cameras on the property. It's going to allow us to manage it completely remotely, control access, see what's going on on the property and not have to have someone there full time because on a 30 unit, you just, you can't afford it. So because of this, yeah. So because of that, we're able to take our scale and bring that down to these smaller properties where you really can find the, these better return profiles. Like I said, you just have to have the skill set and the systems in place to be able to do that. Yeah. I think you make some, some amazing points there. Big company going small. You're right. It's counterintuitive, 
but you know, as you explained it, it makes perfect sense. You know, we, we've got a couple of you know heavy reposition assets, and a big company would come in with the systems in place. They're going to have the experience, and they're probably going to be fully capitalized on on the project. So, and then the other point, we're we're finding the same trouble. We, we've got a couple of assets that are in the twenty to forty range. And and you're right. It's it's hard to find good management. It's kind of the the dead zone for property management. You know, right. you have a lot of companies that focus on the on-site management. You know, and they're they're the big institutional ones. Right. And you've got a lot of companies that focus on single-family and small multifamily. And there's not a lot that do that in between space. Yeah, and and I and I really don't want to uh, let the cat out of the bag and, and generate a bunch of competition by by telling everybody how how good these are. But there's there really is kind of a no man's land mm-hmm. that we're operating in of, of about twenty to a hundred units, where you know they're they're larger, they're too large for the typical mom and pop owner to yep. manage effectively, but too small for large institutions. And frankly, you know, last year a company like Burgeon Held like wouldn't have looked at at anything mm-hmm. in that space. So yeah. there is kind of a no man's land where there's just, there's less competition and you can find these opportunities because of the lack of sophisticated management where there's just, there's a lot of meat on the bone. Mm-hmm. So we think we can come in, you know, very quickly take advantage of that, improve the property and, and have a lower hold time as well. We're targeting more three-year holds on these yep. properties to, to get in effect change and get out and, and chalk up a win and, and move on. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I, I like it. And I, I agree that that dead space is is less competitive. You know, there, there's fewer players in there. And, you know, I, I think that's that that's kind of part of our success is we, we started out in that space and we're trying to move up into the 100 plus space right now. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, our largest asset, you know, we've got two that are 80 something units. Then we've got a couple that are, you know, the 20 to 40 size. So yeah, we were able to get traction in that space because just like you said, it is a little less competitive. Yeah, I bet those give great great cash flow too. Uh, you know, one of them was a heavy reposition and hasn't quite yet. We we bought it at sixty percent occupancy, and okay. uh, it actually had a negative NOI when we bought it. So that one we're turning the corner right now, and mm-hmm. you know, starting to turn the, the cash flow on. So, but I, I think that's probably the type of stuff you would go after: heavy reposition. And when we when we bought it, we paid seven fifty. It was a 30, 30 something unit and we paid less than the, the mom and pop owner did 20 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's a heck of a deal, right? Yeah. I mean, you get that turned around. I mean, the, the cash flow on that will be yeah. crazy from a return yeah. standpoint. And, you know, like you mentioned, I mean, that those are the type of things that, that we'll go after. And, and because we have the, the internal construction competency as well, we have our, our own GCs in house we can do those repositionings very quickly. And you brought up before the, the eight hour renovation, which, which I'll, I'll have you link in the show notes so people can see that video. Cause it, it is cool. It's, it's a time-lapse video of it's a couple minutes long of our team turning a unit in, in eight hours and they come in, they rip out floors, they rip out cabinets, they bring in, bring in everything. And in eight hours, it's like the person leaves in the morning, goes to work and they come home and they've got a brand new unit. And in doing that, we, we can do three or four units a day. Yeah. So if you look at turning a smaller property, I mean, you can do it, you can do it in a month. Yeah. I, I absolutely love that video. You know, as soon as I saw it, I, I texted it to my, my three partners and I mean, they were just like, Oh my gosh, that is amazing. You know, I, I think the, the concept is, you know, it's, it's just quick in quick out and, you don't have to wait for, I mean, you reduce the, the turn time, you know, for a full renovation, right. 
you know, a lot of times we're, we're taking, you know, three weeks to, to get all that done. So yeah. you know, if you can do it in eight, eight days, you know, you might pay a little more for the, the cost, but your, your carrying costs are lower um, and your term costs. I mean, if you can do it with somebody at work, I mean, you don't even have to have to have a vacancy there. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing to consider is the occupancy because we're doing them occupied. Yep. So we're not doing them on turn. So we're, we don't see that occupancy dip. So, yep. I mean, we, one of the base, best case studies we have is we completed a 740 unit here in Indianapolis, turned the entire property, including major exterior renovations in 11 months. And through that maintained an occupancy of about 95% the wow. entire time. And, it, and it's also good from a resident standpoint, they have to deal with construction for a little bit, but they're not dealing with, I mean, typically that project that size could take two years, three yeah. years. Um, you have residents dealing with construction things the whole time. It's just, it's a much better way to do it if you can implement that program. And we've done it on about 7,000 units at this point. Wow. Uh, impressive. Impressive. So last question for you. Uh, what's next for you? So, so what's next is really just continuing for me personally within the company, it's continuing to build out the private select label, private select brand, which is going, going out and acquiring these, uh, these smaller Harrier properties, right? The goal is going to be, is going to be to bring them together as a portfolio and allow investors to invest in a portfolio, you know, eight, eight to 12 of these properties. Additionally, kind of going along with that, you know, I'm really leading this prop tech kind of innovation at the firm. So, so going down this path and finding out really what our lack of a better word, like software stack is going to be for mm-hmm. our, you know, for our apartments. And right now we're working on self guided tours. Yeah. So, so how do you actually interact with them on the website through an AI driven bot, use that to allow them to schedule have the software and the, and the technology with the locks and things to actually bring them onto the property, mm-hmm. have them tour the property, have access to speak to someone, but no one's actually face-to-face while they're doing that, and then sign up for the lease virtually right, right on their phone. Yeah. Do that without ever having to, to be in contact. So that's, that's the first workflow that, that we're cracking right now, and we're almost done with that, and then we're going to move on to more of the management side of things. Yeah, and for smaller properties, that, that's absolutely key. You, know, it's, mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't have that on-site presence, so this, this gives you right. a virtual on-site presence, which should, should make it a lot easier to, to lease units. Yeah. All right. Well, great. So let's switch gears once again and introduce our next guest. Uh, we have Esther Rises Lowenbein on the line with us. Um, Esther's an entrepreneur, investor, and philanthropist. She's heavily involved in both the residential and commercial real estate markets in Rockland County, New York. She and her husband have eight wonderful kids and are extremely active in their community and run a nonprofit providing relief for underprivileged individuals. So that said, Esty, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure. I gotta say, Brian and Kev, I love listening to both your podcasts. So thanks wow. for your informative. Yeah, thank yeah. you and appreciate that. That's uh, it's flattering. So, can you give us an idea of what your background is and your history up until you decided that uh, you wanted to start actively investing in apartments? All right. Um, okay, I'll try to con- make it concise because it's quite long. Um, I'm a speech language pathologist, and as my kids were growing, I was working with children. Mm-hmm. And as my kids were growing, it was very difficult to work with children and then come home to mine. <laughs> I was at the point that I need to, I decided I need to work with adults and have mm-hmm. patience for my kids when they come home from school. Yeah. So that was a uh, one major shift in my career. Okay. Um, there were other reasons we moved from Brooklyn to Rockland County 
and just uh, being a speech language pathologist over here was so much more difficult. So I started out with residential. I said, if, if, if I have to work in the homes to see the students, mm-hmm. I might as well sell the home and not work in the home. True. Uh, as a speech language pathologist, you know, yeah. I, I said, I'll come in as a realtor and sell the home. And then yep. we went on to uh, commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. People ask me, why don't I focus on one asset? I just love it all. I like the meeting people, showing houses. I like the commercial um, mm-hmm. aspect. I did start out with multifamily um, brokering. Okay. Um, but since inventory is so low and I have so many requests and just nothing, there's nothing available right now, I've branched out into other class assets as well. So now I'm representing um, owners, sellers with um, office buildings as well mm-hmm. as warehousing. But we're still a multifamily. Nice. A few weeks ago, someone approached me, asked me to raise capital for a multifamily development. And I successfully found someone and uh, accidentally got into raising capital. And now I'm working on seven, uh, actually nine projects, raising Mm -hmm. capital from private investors. Wow. Mostly multifamily. So I'm here to learn more about multifamily and uh, educate my, my investors as well. I'm happy to be on board. Yeah. Well, that, that's amazing. I mean, uh, raising capital can be fun and something that uh, that you've got going for you is, you know, you naturally like people, which I think makes that a lot, a lot easier for you to do because, you know, you're, you're extroverted, you're the type of person that likes other people. So, so I consider myself a serial networker. So serial networker. Yeah. yeah. And well, I come with a communication background. Um, so yeah. that's vital. That's yeah. uh, speech language pathology is helping me out in my current new venture. Yeah. It's nice when you're, when your non-real estate background actually helps you, you know, in, in one way or another with the transition to real estate. So another interesting aspect. Um, so we're coming husbands in the business world. Mm-hmm. We're coming from that world. And uh, as a speech language pathologist and a mom, I was just like busy doing my job and taking care of the kids. I didn't know anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, believe it or not, three and a half years ago when we bought our first home, I didn't even know what a mortgage was. And then one day I was like, I just need to learn. I just need to know. I need to get out there. So it's so important. Um, I'm like preaching this now. It's so important to be in the know. Yeah. It's so important to, you know, to learn. Like you said, you were the annoying uh, passive investor that asked questions about everything. So, hey, me too. Um, <laughs> I'm just asking. I'm learning. I'm listening. So um, kudos. Yeah. I think that education is absolutely important, you know, and, and I spent uh, a couple of years really digesting podcasts and reading books and that kind of formed the baseline of my, my education, you know, and then once I started actively doing things, you know, I thought, "Mm, you know, I probably need more education. So I I bought in some paid, paid courses as well. But uh, yeah, I think it's absolutely essential that, you know, you get educated number one. And then a lot of times, I find, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, Kent, you, you'll say the same thing, but, you know, when you educate your investors, you know, they're, they're more likely to, to stick with you. Oh, yeah, so. absolutely. So, Esty, let's talk about your, your motivation for doing this. You, I mean, you, you briefly touched it, but let's, let's dive a little deeper on your big burning why for wanting to actively invest in apartments. Okay, so I believe it's um, really important to diversify your, one's assets. Mm-hmm. So we're a bit in the business world. We have some businesses. We're in the stock market. We are investing in warehousing and office space. But I believe that multifamily is a great passive investment. And thank God with eight kids, we have to secure private tuition for all of them and for the years to come. So 
it's our um, duty as parents to make sure that we have passive, healthy investments for the future. Yeah. So I, th- I believe that multifamily is, uh, is a great asset for that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that, that's something that I think, you know, both Kent and I mentioned before, you know, family is is a lot of times the biggest motivation for this. Wow. I mean, eight kids, you know, um, you, you told me earlier, and I'll just highlight this, you know, you're you're a working mother with eight kids. Absolutely amazing. I mean, just just for you to be able to handle both of those roles and, and do it the way you have, I think that's just speaks volumes to you, to your, your capability and to, you know, what you can do. So thank yeah, you. I appreciate absolutely. that. So, thank you. I actually um, look at real estate as my hobby. I really enjoy it. Yep. Um, I don't watch movies. I don't have time for anything. Don't ask me about any latest movie star. I have no idea. Uh, but it's the kids and, and my hobby. And um, I think I like developed ADD in my old age. I can't sit still. So I'm yeah. on a roll. I'm really enjoying this. Yeah, adult onset ADD. I think I got it too. Yeah. So um, Just because well, you, you found your passion. That's what it's all about. There it's you go. Yes. Brain, right? Really so. You don't hate doing it. You don't hate going to work, you know, right. when it's fun, it's easy. Yeah. yeah, I absolutely love it. And um, from the outside point, you know, people think like it's all glamorous. You know, she's posting deals. She's closing deals. There's a lot of work involved. Not every deal goes through. You can spend time. It's a lot of, so as much as I love it, there is the hard part. That's part of the the journey. It's part of it. Yeah, to it get absolutely to is. You want to. So let, let's, let's do this and just, I mean, kind of started the dialogue between you, but let's just uh, officially kick it off. You know, SD, we got Kent on the line. What do you want to ask him? All right. Um, so you said you did not want to go into the stock market. I mean, you, you are in the stock market investments as well, but why, why did you choose multifamily out of all the commercial class assets? Yeah, good question. Really simple. Everybody needs a place to live, Right. And if you look at it, so I have an econ background. Uh, when you look at it from a supply and demand standpoint, there's just not enough housing in the U.S. and there's especially not enough affordable housing. So when you, when you look at, at the need, I mean, it's pretty significant. I've seen studies say, you know, we, we're going to need 5 million more houses in the next 10 years and things like that. I mean, it's pretty pretty easy to see that without the supply there and with the demand but the demand being higher than the supply that uh, when that happens, prices increase. And so when you look at it from an investor standpoint, you know, you want to, you want to be in an asset where there's a lot of demand. And I think with things like, like we saw this, uh, you know, with what ha- what's happening now with COVID-19, people were able to leave their offices, right. And, and able to still largely maintain their work and be productive, but nobody's, Nobody's leaving their homes. Everybody still needs a place to live and they, and they still need, you know, now a place to, to even work. And so when you think about it that way, it was a pretty easy decision for me looking at the different classes. I also like the fact that, you know, when, when you're looking at commercial spaces, you're looking at, at longer term leases, five, 10 year leases. I, I like the idea of the, the one year lease being able to capture the rent appreciation and the the changes in rent each year as you make changes to the property versus having to wait, you know, five, seven, 10 years. That's interesting. That's interesting. And can you touch on for my listeners, the, my investors that are listening, the tax benefits that come with multifamily investing or any commercial? Yeah. So with, you know, with real estate investing in general, you're going to have, depending on on your position in the deal, but, but mostly, I mean, from, from our standpoint, all, all of our 
limited partners, our passive investors, you know, we distribute the depreciation expense through to them. So it, it offsets your gains. So you're getting your, your income from the property, right? You're getting your share of the rental income and operating income. And then you're able to offset that through an expense, uh, which is the depreciation on the property. So not only are you, are you getting a return, but you're also getting the benefit of not being taxed on that entire return because you're, you're lowering your actual income through that depreciation expense. And, and because of bonus depreciation and 100% bonus depreciation, which exists right now, you're able to take a lot of that depreciation in year one. So uh, every deal is different and every person's tax situation is different. But I can tell you just on the latest deal, that we did when we modeled out the the anticipated tax advantages and depreciation that would be shared on a, on a hundred thousand dollar investment in year one, uh, that person was going to be receiving about fifty thousand dollars of the depreciation. So that that offset occurs disproportionately large in year one, and then you're able to carry that forward through additional years if you're not using that offset. And, and that depreciation can offset anything in your passive portfolio, not just mm-hmm. that single deal. It can offset other investments that you have as well, as long as they fit that passive criteria. So that it was something honestly that, that really didn't sink in for me until it, it really happened. And I had these investments going in that first year. Um, all of a sudden I didn't, I didn't owe any taxes on, yeah. on the gains that I had through, through my real estate. And it was pretty incredible. And uh, I'm still sitting on even now, just a lot of carry forward, a lot of, uh, depreciation I can carry forward to future deals. So it really is, I mean, it can be a percent, 2%. It can be a large impact from a return perspective, depending on which tax bracket you're in. And getting that K1 form, you know, on your first investment and seeing a big negative number on the income line is just (laughs) understanding it's depreciation and not losing money is just, wow. I mean, what it does for your taxes and, and SD, you're a, you're probably a really qualifying as a real estate professional. Uh, so for you and any of your investors that are also real estate professionals, mm-hmm. it'll actually cancel out active income as well. So enormous yeah. tax benefits there. Yeah, that real estate professional criteria is really the game changer there. Mm-hmm. It can be difficult to achieve. You have to meet certain requirements. But as you said, being able to offset your active income as well really is a huge impact. Yeah. I guess it's important to have a um, a tax advisor integrated as a t- as your team in making all these decisions. Yeah, you should have an accountant and you should have, you know, and some accountants, you need an accountant that is forward thinking and strategic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not just looking at the past history and kind of judging, you know, what to put on the tax return based on what happened. Um, you need someone that's thinking about, you know, what your goals are and, and, and how you should go about that to do it in the, in the most tax advantageous way. And you need to be having meetings with them regularly, not just when it's time to file the return, because they, they have to know what's going on so that they can advise you in, in the right way. I think that's an extremely important part of real estate investing. And if you're not doing that, then you're probably leaving something on the table. I just say for an accountant, who would you recommend having on your team as assisting you in making these decisions or accountability? Yeah. So an accountant, you need, you need a solid attorney. A good attorney is invaluable. And there, there are attorneys that can kill deals and there's attorneys that can make deals and you need to find an attorney that's good at at making deals. And and again, kind of being creative. And then the other one, probably the most important one really is a good property manager. 
you know, whether you're doing it yourself or you've hired someone or you're going with a, a third party firm. Before I joined Burgeon Held, I would have, I created good relationships with property managers in the markets I was looking in and I would have them come and walk the properties with me and bring their construction folks and do that, do that at the walkthrough and get their opinion. Because when you build your team, you're trying to fill in your blind spots right? Like everybody's good at certain things. Nobody's good at everything. And, and I know that I'm good with numbers. I'm a finance guy and, and I can understand how to put deals together, but I know that I am not a GC and I'm not a construction person. So I knew where my blind spot was. So I wanted to make sure, especially when I was walking properties that, that I had somebody that had that background and, and that can really look at the roofs and the, the HVAC and everything and, and really know what's going on versus me just taking some shots in the dark. Those are three of the most important. And a good inspector. <laughs> yeah, good, good inspector kind of goes along with, with having that, that construction person, right? right? On, a, on a commercial deal, right, you're gonna, your lender is going to want to do an inspection. And, and that, is, that is valuable information. But you really want to have your, your own people out there. You want to have the people that are going to be running the property there with you to be able to really start to understand the property before they take it over, right? So like when we're going to purchase a property, and we're going through the initial phase, like, you know, before we get it under contract, right? We're, we're walking the property and, and we're doing that check for the major items. When we're in due diligence after we're under contract, I mean, we're walking every unit and taking an inventory of every unit and, and marking down, you know, how old, are, how old are each of the HVAC units? You know, how old are the hot water heaters? And, and we're getting to that level of detail. And I think I think that you have to do that. And the inspector isn't necessarily, the inspector is not going to leave you with that inventory. So that's something you need, you need your own team to have. And you should have that as you're taking over the property. Because that's the only way that you can effectively plan your CapEx schedule and know what you're going to have to replace and when. Yeah, I agree. I mean, property manager is, is probably the most important. And you go back to, to what you said about the accountant. I think that's probably the most overlooked person on a team. I, I've talked to a couple of people and in, that, in, in some cases, it's like the, oh my gosh, we need an accountant now, time to file our taxes. So that, that's definitely the wrong time to do it. Yeah. Well, we're, we're about out of time here. So I got one, one question for each of you. Uh, Kent, you go first. How can the listeners get in touch with you? Yeah. So the, uh, the best place to find me right now is, is on my podcast. It's Ritter on Real Estate and it's, uh, it's available anywhere you listen to podcasts. And really the focus is on helping passive investors make good investing decisions. So mm -hmm. I interview the pros so that you can invest like a pro. The other place you could reach me and just learn, learn more about Burge and Held is burgeandheld.com. And um, I'm sure we'll put that in the show notes. So Absolutely. I don't spell it out for you. But if you go there, you can learn more about our company and the types of deals that we're doing. Yeah. And like Esther, I've, I've listened to many episodes of your podcast. I think it's a great podcast as well. And uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes and to the Virgin Held website. So Esty, same question for you. How can people get in touch with you? All right. I'm on LinkedIn as Esther Rises Lowenbein. You can find me there on Instagram as, as Esty Lowenbein. You can text me at 718-249-5141. When I, as soon as I'm available, I'll answer your text or call. Mm -hmm. Yeah, shoot, shoot me, shoot me any questions. And all right. looking forward to working with uh, buyers, sellers, and investors of all types. Awesome. So yeah, we'll make sure that gets in the in the show notes. So contact her LinkedIn, Instagram, and she give out her cell phone number for text or call. So that's that's awesome. All right. So thanks. 
to both of you for, for coming on the show today. A lot of value added. You know, it was, it was uh, great talking to you, getting to know both of you a little bit better. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Appreciate you having us on. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.